This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Christine Ross, in for Libby Zneimer. It's Remembrance Day. This year is extra special. It marks the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. We'll hear from a 94-year-old Canadian veteran. And don't ask Canadian comedian Rick Mercer if he's retiring. The answer is an emphatic no. His new book contains a collection of his famous rants he delivered from Toronto's graffiti alleys during 15 seasons of his popular TV show. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Canada's life expectancy is being threatened. Toronto's Centre for Addiction and Mental Health says longevity in the U.S. has begun to decline slightly for the first time since the Second World War. It's mainly due to so-called deaths of despair, resulting from drug overdoses, suicide or alcohol abuse. And a similar trend appears to be taking hold in Canada, though to a much lesser degree. The average Canadian lifespan is now 82 years, up only slightly from 81 12 years ago. The paper is published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal. On the same week that Canada's Prime Minister issued an apology to Jewish leaders for Canada closing its doors to Jewish refugees during World War II, Austria has taken a big step closer to building a memorial for 66,000 Austrian Jews killed by the Nazis. Austria's government agreed this week to finance most of the cost of the memorial wall in Vienna. The project has been initiated by Holocaust survivor Kurt Tutter. Austria was annexed by Nazi Germany in 1938. A 96-year-old woman from India has become the oldest person to write and pass her state's literacy test. It was the first ever exam for Kathy Yenyi Amma, and she aced it, scoring perfect on the reading section. She also scored high marks in writing and math. Her teacher says despite her advanced age, Amma was calm and confident. Seniors are replacing teenagers at American fast food restaurants. Recruiters say older workers have the soft skills, a friendly demeanor, punctuality that their younger cohorts sometimes lack. There are two big reasons driving the trend, a labor shortage amid the tightest job market in decades and an aging population, with many wanting to work longer for a more secure financial retirement. The number of older working Americans is growing, but those 16 to 24 declining. Prince Charles is reportedly a pampered prince. According to a documentary, the 69-year-old has his shoelaces ironed every morning. Even his PJs are pressed every day by his staff. The documentary, Serving the Royals Inside the Firm, claims Charles needs help with just about everything. If you go to work for the royal family, you're going to work for the firm. The firm has strict rules, and anybody who breaks them, you're out. This isn't the first time Charles' odd behavior has made headlines. According to a recently published book, he changes outfits five times a day 
and never shows up at a dinner party without his own food. I'm Christine Ross, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's Remembrance Day, and this year carries special significance. It marks 100 years since the end of World War I. 94-year-old Canadian veteran Richard Romer spoke earlier today at the ceremony at Queen's Park like he's been doing for the past 12 years. He has many titles, lawyer, author, historian, but the one he's most proud of is his current title, Honorary Lieutenant General of the Canadian Armed Forces. What does Remembrance Day mean to you? Well, it means a time to remember uh, people who were part of my unit wartime and people who have been uh, part of my organization and association militarily since then. You've been around for many Remembrance Days. How has it changed over the years? It hasn't changed very much at all. The uh, activities are the same. The uh, routine is much the same in terms of what we do at, for example, at Queen's Park, where I'm involved every Remembrance Day, having created the wall that's there now for veterans. Uh, prayers and uh, speaking of uh, things that evoke old memories and discussions and brings to mind people that you fought with and they died beside you kind of thing. So people of a certain generation still have a, a connection to both the First and Second World War, even the Korean conflict with stories passed down through generations, but that even that is starting to fade. How are we going to, to change that? Well, they may be changing and beginning to fade. You cannot change the work of time. Uh, time actually cures a lot of things in terms of the, that are bad. I think that the amount of time and effort that's spent in remembering World Wars One and Two and all the others in between is quite satisfactory. Now, we've had a remarkable upsurge of attendance, for example, at Queen's Park on Remembrance Day, since we completed the wall there in 2006. And the sense that we're getting is that people are not fundamentally walking away from remembering the wars and people who died there and were injured there. But it's a question of how you get reached the people who were being born, young people who have no connection at all. But I think that with the cadets that we have, the Air Cadets and Army and Navy Cadets, that the traditions are being remembered by them, for sure, because they participate. But in the result, I don't think that we're losing all that much touch, even though some of us, like me, are quite old. So this is an extra special year. It's the 100th anniversary, the centenary of the end of the First World War. Will there be different events planned because of this? Uh, Yes, there are different events, particularly out of uh, Europe, where Europe was devastated, uh, France particularly, and uh, in World War uh, I. They are uh, really celebrating on a big way in Europe, France, Belgium, Holland, uh, and Great Britain, and we're going to be participating with them next year. I think Canada will in some meaningful way. Things are not getting away over there. They are really strongly remembered, particularly for us Canadians in Holland, where we lost a lot of people. We've got about 7,000 young men buried in Holland as a result of defending them and freeing them at the uh, end of uh, World War II. So 
things are strong there, but not as much here because we never did have any battling going on in our own uh, mm-hmm. backyard, if you will. I want to ask you about how we've changed in the way that we remember the war did. We now have the Highway of Heroes for, you know, returning Afghan vets and so forth. Is this the proper way to be honoring our war dead? Well, it is one way that is significant and uh, and visual. It's uh, anything we can do that is reasonable to honor the dead that uh, we left behind uh, is quite acceptable, provided that it is not in any way offending. And that is certainly with the uh, highways and uh, other activities that are going on whereby for example, a lot of the names of uh, people who died in in World War One are being shown on on walls by an organization based in Toronto, and they're all over the world. That kind of thing is quite quite acceptable, quite legitimate, and quite tasteful. How you talk to vets? How do you think they feel the way they're being treated? I mean, this is a week where the government has just announced that there was a disability error to veterans of 165 million dollars that they hope to correct. What that demonstrates is that the government bureaucracies are prone to make mistakes, and as long as they're eventually caught and altered and changed, so much the better. But uh, we live in a society in Canada which is peaceful. But it has its own opportunities in the bureaucracy and in the politics for making mistakes and making misjudgments. That's the element of the democracy that uh, is a price that we have to pay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So they'll fix it somehow. That was Honorary Lieutenant General Richard Romer. I'm Christine Ross, in for Libby's Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, he ranted his way into our homes on his TV show, and now Rick Mercer has a new book featuring those often biting political rants. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. We cannot just decide to not watch a U.S. election. In fact, as Canadians, we should pay very, very close attention. Not so we can feel superior, no, as a cautionary tale. That's Canadian comedian Rick Mercer, who's given new meaning to the word rant. And now his famous, heated, and often political commentaries he delivered from Toronto's alleyways from his long-running TV show are contained in his new book called The Final Report. Libby Snymer spoke with Mercer about his book and what's next. Why did you do the book? Because I was wrapping up the show, I was thinking back a lot about things that had happened on the show. And there were a lot of stories that I would tell. And I think you probably know when people get together and they're telling stories, especially in show business, they never tell the story about, oh, we did a great show and, you know, the 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 sound was great and the audience was fantastic. No, musicians and actors, they end up saying, oh, my God, I did a show one time and the audience didn't speak English. so They didn't understand what I was saying. And the, the sound technician was drunk and then the light <laughs> fell out of the ceiling and it was a disaster. And that's where the funny stories are. So there's some stories in the book about uh, adventures that went terribly wrong. How did you come up with the rant? I've been ranting as long as I can remember. And (laughs) when this hour's 22 minutes started, we were only ever going to do six shows. And there was four of us, and it was four very different individuals with four very different visions of what the show could be. And there was a lot of 
creative conflict and everyone was kind of going to their own corners and creating something. And I created the rant mainly because I thought, you know what, the producers will use this because I'm going to leave with a camera and I'm going to come back an hour later and there's going to be two minutes of television. I'm not saying I need a set. I need costumes. I need lights. I need a studio. I don't need any of that. I'm just going to go out and run around and rant and I'll come back with two minutes of TV. And as a result, a rant was in the first six episodes of 22 Minutes, and then it was in every episode I did for eight years. As time went on, the rants changed. In the old days, they would always be about federal politics and kind of my reaction to whatever the prime minister or whatever cabinet minister was talking about that week. Then they started changing, and I realized they could be about anything. When you think about it, so many people, especially younger people, are completely disengaged from federal politics. So do you think you were speaking to a very specific kind of audience or were you consciously trying to get people more interested? I always knew that I had the political junkies. I remember when I watched the first episode of 22 Minutes, I thought, oh my God, I'd watch this show forever. But because I was a political junkie. But then I quickly realized we can't just rely on the political junkies. We got to draw people in. And, and that was a big part of of what I wanted to do with the Mercer Report was to make politics accessible or, or especially, uh, you know, interest young people in politics. A lot of young people watch the show because they like the fact that I was jumping out of airplanes or, or hanging out with rock stars. And then by osmosis, they would get politics because then there would be this rant. I always thought it was part of my job to bring people into the fold. And do you consider yourself to be very left-wing, progressive, however you want to... You know, I've been all over the map. I think one of the, the problems we have in politics today, not just in Canada, but certainly in the United States and all over the world, is people have become more and more polarized. They've picked a lane and they're sticking to it, and they will not deviate from that lane. Whereas I've been all over the place. I've voted for every major political party at one point or time in my life. But, you know, I'm obviously a social progressive, but I'm probably more fiscally conservative than a lot of my friends. There was a time when the conservatives were asking me to run because they were figuring, you know what, he might be a conservative. Really? Yeah. And I was like, no, not, not, not as long as you have this gay marriage problem. This is not happening. You uh, stopped doing the show at the top of your game. I'd like to think so, yeah. But still, there were people, I'm thinking about a, a review in the Globe and Mail that said, it was kind of old-fashioned, kind of not acerbic or sharp enough for the times. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that your type of satire is uh, old-fashioned? Well, you know, I, I know that when we started, we certainly weren't. And then I can't think of anyone who could create a show in television and then run it for 15 years and not have it feel like it's nostalgic, perhaps, or old-fashioned. One thing I did with my show was when we went somewhere, we celebrated if we went to Thunder Bay, we went to celebrate Thunder Bay. There was no big city attitude. And that may be old-fashioned. When it comes to the satire, I don't think so. I think our satire was every bit as good as any other satire that's being done. I think this is a very difficult time for satire. I think if you look in America, obviously... I, I would say the opposite. I mean, they've got fodder for days. They've got fodder for days, but this is my concern, and, and this is not critical. There used to be uh, forums where we all kind of watched. You know, everyone read the Globe and Mail. Everyone, you know, watched the CBC or CTV or what have you. Now everything is so 
you know, everyone has their own channel. They have their own YouTube channel that they follow. They have their own Facebook feed they follow. So even though there is some of the greatest political satire being done in the United States, I wonder how many opinions are being changed because of that satire. I fear that everyone is just preaching to the choir and everyone is just cherry picking what channels they watch and they only get messages that reinforce their own point of view. But it's that way with non-satire as well. Sure. People are getting their news from news sources that they agree with. And then even when they're confronted with the notion that, you know what, that's actually not true. That's totally a spin. They go, I don't care. It's news that I like. It's news that tells me what I want to hear. It's alternate facts. It's alternate facts. It's, it's a scary time. Okay. Rick Mercer, thanks so much. Thank you very much. That was Canadian comedian and author Rick Mercer. His new book is called The Final Report. I'm Christine Ross for Libby's Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, a Canadian folk legend celebrates a birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Christine Ross for Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Andy Johnson. With the U.S. midterms now over, those longing for Camelot, the administration of John Kennedy back in the 1960s, could visit New London, Connecticut, where the Lyman Allen Art Museum presents a major exhibition commemorating the late president. American visionary John F. Kennedy's Life and Times runs through the end of February. The fourth edition of Luxembourg Art Week is on at the Hall Victor Hugo in Luxembourg. And the third edition of also known as Africa, devoted to contemporary African art, is now on at the Carreau de Temple in Paris. And in London, Snoopy, Charlie Brown and company have landed at Somerset House in an exhibition called Good Grief, Charlie Brown. At its heyday, Peanuts was syndicated in over 2,600 newspapers in 75 countries, 21 languages, and reached more than 300 million people. I'm Andy Johnson, and that's the International Art State Book. This week, Canadian singer-songwriter Joni Mitchell celebrated her 75th birthday. She's not only a national treasure here at home, but loved all around the world. And earlier this week, a star-studded two-day gala concert was held in Los Angeles to honour Joni and her 75th. Artists like James Taylor, Rufus Wainwright, Emmylou Harris, and Chris Christofferson showed up to sing and pay tribute to the woman Rolling Stone magazine has called one of the greatest songwriters ever. Right now, we'll hear one of Joni's biggest hits. It's the original recording from her 1974 album, Court and Spark. Here is Help Me. Help me, I think I'm falling in love again. When I get that crazy feeling, I know I'm in trouble. That was Joni Mitchell with Help Me. The Canadian singer-songwriter celebrated her 75th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Christine Ross in for Libby's Nimer, and thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.